0: You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 781 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host. Brad Rowland coming to you live on a Thursday evening into Friday morning. And today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Today's show will mostly be an interview that I did with Zach Hood of Peachtree Hoops and a Step Back about uh, combo guards in the NBA draft. It's part two. Uh, part one was earlier this week. But before we get to Zach, a bit of cool news from the Hawks G League franchise over in College Park at the Skyhawks. And the Hawks announced on Thursday that Tory Miller has been promoted to GM of the College Park Skyhawks making her the first woman in the uh, history of the G League to hold the GM title. That is very, very cool news. Congratulations to Tori. Uh, She was promoted to assistant GM last summer after being on the staff in Erie, where the uh, G League franchise came from. Um, They transferred to Erie before this season. Um, And before that, Tori spent time in the Suns front office before that. And uh, also, by the way, former Skyhawks GM Derek Pierce is going to continue on with the Hawks in the Atlanta front office as VP of Player Personnel. And uh, the Hawks also announced a couple of other promotions uh, in the, at, the, at the same time as the Torrey Miller News. With Dwight Lutz or Lutz now uh, being named Senior Director of Basketball Strategy and Analytics, Max Horowitz as the Senior Data Scientist, and Zach Walsh as Director of Team Operations. The Hawks also announced the hire of Justin Howe as Physical Therapist and Assistant Athletic Trainer. So a flurry or a bevy of front office moves, but uh, there you go on that. That was the big news that happened on Thursday morning or afternoon, I guess midday. On Thursday. Um, and also Zach has come right Zach's coming right up, but two quick things before we get to Zach. Uh, first, be sure to check out part one of the conversation that I had with Zach earlier in the week about combo guards. We had thoughts about Tyshon and Alexander and Jared Butler and Emmanuel Quickley and Ashton Haggins and Leander Bomaro, Teo Maladon, Jamias Ramsey, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, all kinds of players. So check that out. And also be sure to check out the Eastern Congress bubble primary that I did with Robbie Calland a couple days ago. Good friend of the program. Uh, always fun to talk with Robbie about uh, non Hawks things or, or Hawks things. And that was a fun one. And also the last thing is that I'm also extremely grateful. I would say for the support during the crazy uh, long hiatus from Hawks basketball and everybody's still listening to the, the show. I really appreciate all of that. I'm still asking, though, everybody to subscribe to the podcast on their player of choice, their platform of choice, wherever you wherever you could find podcasts, frankly, or if you like to prefer to listen to podcasts, anywhere that you like to listen, go ahead and subscribe. Leave five-star feedback if you are able to do so on that platform, and also tell a friend or two about the podcast. I greatly, greatly, greatly appreciate everyone that's done that already, but please go ahead and do that if you've not done that. I really, uh, you know, it really helps the show, so thank you in advance for doing that. Okay. Um, with all of that out of the way, here we go with Zach Hood and part two of our NBA Draft Primer on Combo Guards. Zach, welcome back. It's nice to uh, have you after a couple of days uh, off between part one and part two, but we're back with Combo Guards and how you feel on this fine Thursday night? I'm doing all right. Appreciate you having me on again. And uh, how are you? Yeah, you know, doing what we do, uh, trying to get, trying to just keep uh keep my head down and grind so here we are um and by the way we are now under 100 days till the nba draft a landmark occasion it feels like it's never going to get here but less than 100 days congratulations to all of us um like i said before i brought you in you know today's podcast is going to be this you know part two common guards and really the guys who are uh projected like full-on projected top 20 picks um we'll there are four of them we'll start with the guy that uh I think consensus is either three or four, depending on who you ask, and that is RJ Hampton. Uh, Hampton was a high school to NBL guy. Um, He's he's an American player, but played in Australia last year. Actually played for the New Zealand team in the NBL. Uh, Got hurt, actually, in January and shut it down after only 17 games. He struggled, I would say in the NBL, that's a, a kind of way to put it. I thought he was kind of bad actually, but prior to that was a five-star pedigree guy and uh, obviously pretty talented. So, what do you uh what do you think of RJ Hampton and uh you know, is he is he ahead of the guys we talked about on part 1 or is he someone that's sort of in that middle uh area where he could fall a little bit for you?
1: No, I have him ahead of those guys. I mean, I just his pedigree and like his, how good he was as a high school player is I mean, You can't discredit that just because he wasn't, like, good in a real professional league with, like, guys who've played in... I mean, the NBL is not the best league, but there are are people there who know how to play basketball that have played in every league. I mean, it's a legit grown-man pro league. I didn't really expect him to go up there and just dominate it. So... Yeah. I don't really, like... Honestly, I would rather, like... I'm not going to say I would rather watch the high school stuff because, like, I think the NBL tape is really important to know, like, where he's at right now, but... I think it's important to go back and see, like, what he was when... Because he's not... He played at, a, you know, a, obviously a high-level AAU. So, like, it's it's important to watch him when he was playing, like, people his age that were also, like, considered really good and, like, to watch him, like, be, like, better... Really, like, way better than most of those guys. Like, I think it's... it's he's definitely, like, probably four for me among this group. But I think he has a higher ceiling than... You know, a lot of people in the draft. Maybe outside of like you know seven or eight people, I would probably have him with you know a top ten ceiling.
0: I think that's like, totally
1: reasonable. Um, like Halliburton, for example, and Maxi. Like I would, I think he's got a higher ceiling than them, but he's yeah, a risk. I-
0: I was going to say, I think it depends on what you're looking for. That's not crazy at all. You know, Hampton, again, was a five-star high school prospect. He's still young. He just turned 19 in February. Um, And your point about high school is an important one. It's also one that we'll get into with Maxie. Of course, Maxie's is high school versus college. Hampton's high school versus a, a professional league. But, you know, it's both accurate to say that Hampton was bad in the NBL and also what you said, and that that's not like disqualifying given how young he was. Um, and given the sort of the structure of that league, um, the shooting was not good there. Twenty nine percent from three, but a pretty small sample size in the NBL. Fifty one three point attempts is uh, not a whole lot there. He is a legit six five, I think. Reported six seven wingspan and really good athlete. Um, He's really bursty, pretty quick. Uh, I think he's a pretty good ball handler as well. There's some passing flashes in there. His finishing is a question people have. So if I guess the the worst case scenario for me for Hampton would be if the finishing doesn't get there and the jump shot doesn't get there, that's a bad combination and one that's kind of crippling for you. But if, if he figures out one or the other, there's a lot in there offensively, especially with with his burst. And defensively, I think it's kind of a mixed bag. I think he has pretty decent feel, but he's not consistent at this point in time. He's got to get stronger, et cetera, et cetera. I think he's like maybe a late lottery pick. That's probably a little bit higher than I'm going to have him on my actual board. But like you said, there is um, more upside there than you might uh, think for someone who's consistently ranked like in the late teens. I think he is pretty uh, interesting in a way that a lot of those guys aren't in that range.
1: Yeah, I think um, as far as the defense and the finishing, like I actually feel pretty decent about both of them. Not that he'll be great, but just you know that he won't be like bad, like to the point where it's like you know really like hinders his game. I think obviously you know how if he's a great defender versus he's you know above average, obviously that changes a lot as far as like how he turns out. But I just mean as far as like the floor, I think he will become you know. A capable defender, and like you said, he's got the flashes with the passing. So, if he if he has any shooting gravity at all, I think he'll be able to finish. But that that is a concern. I mean, I don't really worry, like you said, about thirty percent on that many attempts. Even if it was a hundred attempts, I mean, it's the line is not the same as what he played in when and he was still basically eighteen. So,
0: sample size matters on all of these things. I mean. I'm guilty of this too, but any even even a relatively large college sample over one year is not a big sample on threes. No. It's just not, and this is even smaller than that. You know, fifty one attempts <laughs> is like what Trey Young shoots in five and a half games. Like this is not this is not a large enough sample on three point attempts to really care about. Is it a bad data point? Sure. And do I think he's a good shooter right now? Probably not. But like I don't think he I don't think it's crazy to believe in a jump shot if. It might go in. Um, the numbers were better than this, obviously, at lower levels, UIBL, high school, etc. I, I don't. I think it's. I think it's fair to question his jump shot, but also unfair to be like, "Look, he's a bad shooter," based on this sample. So it's somewhere in the middle, and that's that's part of the fun about this, or the, maybe the challenge about evaluating Hampton is that you have to make some uh, real extrapolations from high school and a really really small bad professional sample, and he's someone where like you can't. I think. Just evaluating Hampton on NBL is uh, pretty much impossible to actually get the whole feel of him. I mean, I get that people can't get high school tape on him, and I've, I've not seen as much as I would like to see from his high school tape, but like, if you've never seen him play before the NBL and you're trying to evaluate him for the NBA draft, it's really hard to do that because you're just not seeing what he's going to profile as being in the
1: NBA. Yeah, and I mean, like I I've seen a couple of his high school games. I can send them to you. Um, he's not or not his high school games, but some his, of his, his AU games. Um, he the thing about his shooting is like he doesn't like want to shoot necessarily all the time. Like when he catches the ball, like he's not like someone who's just like you know triple threat like pump faking. He he's like looking at the floor and he'll kind of like you know dribble because like you said he's really athletic. You know, great leaper. Uh, if he has a lane, he can dunk on. He can dunk on. You know, a lot of guys. And uh, so I think that is one part. I mean, if he ends up being like a combo guard and like not, you know, I don't know necessarily that he's a good enough creator to be like a starting point guard. So if he ends up being one of these like combo guards, like Jordan Clarkson or something, like he's gonna need to know like when to just catch and just shoot it in in a rhythm. But I think like that's just part of like figuring out how to play basketball and he's I just I don't know like I don't like I don't feel great about him being a great shooter but I think just like he's gonna improve and just grow into like I honestly think he's gonna be a rotation guy like yeah as, I like, think the, as,
0: like, yeah I, th- I think the combo guards and you, I mean, obviously this is the combo guard podcast but truly that's what Hampton is not all of these guys are that I think he is not going to be a point guard uh, there is a notion out there, at least from before he went to the NBL, that maybe he's a point guard. And I, I don't really see that. I think he is definitely more of a third guard um, profile for me. Uh, obviously, he has upside beyond that, but I think it's going to be either next to a huge point, uh, next to a huge point guard, as like maybe a co lead ball handler or something like that. But I, I don't see him being a point guard, like a pure number one creator type. On ball player, like I, I know he has some upside with that, but um, when I see his game, I, I don't. I don't think point guard. I think like secondary ball handler, and he's he, you know he, on the bright side, he has legitimate shooting guard size at six five, six seven wingspan. Like he's not small in the way that, for instance, the, the next guy that we're talking about, Tyrese Maxey, is kind of small. Um, Hampton does have shooting guard size, which definitely helps. I just think he's not a point guard and. I get why that was out there a little bit if you watch him before he got to the NBL, but I just don't think the um, the passing... And the passing's fine, but the passing is more like fine. It's not standout. And f- for him for him to be an actual lead ball handler, it would need to be better for me in the vision. Like, his feels not bad, but it's not great, etc. I think he's... The Clarkson comp kind of made me nod my head a little bit. You know, Clarkson is not my favorite player, but he's actually been pretty good lately. I, I think, like... I don't love that as a perfect comp, but it would not be a surprise if that if Hampton's best role is like that like third guard, offensive microwave type guy, but he actually has more defensive pop potentially than some of those players in the archetype.
1: No, I mean I don't, you know, like I'm not like a comps guy. I just like threw out yeah, a name know. as far as like uh,
0: they're similar size too. I, if you were
1: gonna compare those guys, they they're a similar size, but um, Hampton's obviously a better athlete, and I think Clarkson was yeah. always a better shooter. Yeah,
0: and that's why comps are bad because you can't find them. They're, they're not perfect always, but yeah. it's just the ro- it's just the role and the archetype more than anything else. Like, right. I just think that's his the most likely path, and this is hard for a guy like Hampton who is more of a boom bust kind of player, not always in both directions. But um, I think the most likely archetype for him having a successful NBA career is that you know, maybe maybe starting shooting guard, but more likely for me like third guard, versatile. Athletic, still pretty valuable player, but not someone who's like lighting the world on fire. And by the way, for where he's mocked, that's totally fine. Like most places that I've seen, have him like either between late lottery and like the early twenties, something like that, something like that, like, like twelve to twenty-two. That's perfectly fine. If you if you can find a third guard that can give you real minutes and be effective. That's a pretty good investment in a vacuum. Hampton has some upside beyond that that we both just touched on. Uh, there is some downside too, but there's always a little bit of risk there. He's not my favorite archetype um, in general. People know that about me. Like I don't love that you know score first, um, maybe questionable other stuff archetype. But if you buy the shooting, especially, then I see why people like Hampton because he is a really talented guy. Um, I think I'm going to have him more like late teens. But if you had, if people had him like top 12 or 13, I would understand that based on the tools that he has and the pedigree from before he got to the NBL.
1: Yeah. I mean, the NBL tape is weird.
0: Like, it's I, bad. Honestly, it's bad. Like if you watch him, he, he looks, if you did not know <laughs> that he was a five-star prospect and you just turned the tape on, he, I mean, there's an occasional flash, but he, he was, he was a bad player in the NBL, which is not like damning to me because again, he was super duper young and, it's a small sample size. But if you just didn't know he was a prospect, he was not a good player in the NBL. Like, and that's okay. He just wasn't.
1: No, yeah. It's like it doesn't really look like um, – like I didn't – I've seen like maybe a game or two. I don't know enough to like really know like what it, what scheme his team was running. But like it just seemed he was so uncomfortable. I don't know. Like, it just seemed like, like even his team kind of made it, like, hard for him. Like, yeah, I was, was going to say like, that,
0: too. Like, like I'm, glad you, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I do think that he was in a situation team-wise. And I've, you know, people have written this. It's not like this is just our pain. Uh, he was not in a great situation for him, um, both because they didn't let him do a lot and also just the, the the system that they were in was not great. And, again, I'm not an NBL expert either, but people have written that and said it out loud, so I feel comfortable passing it along, like – um it would have been a lot easier to evaluate Hampton uh, in a different situation than it was in the NBL, which, and by the way, he, he made some real money. So I still, it, it's still a good decision. He wouldn't made a bunch of money and that's, that's a good thing. Um, I just think uh, for our purposes, it would have been easier to evaluate him in college or somewhere else. But uh, I also understand why he and LaMelo went over there. So I get it.
1: Yeah. LaMelo is a whole other thing. I don't even know if, Nobody knows. Does anybody know if LaMelo was eligible? Uh, I, I'm going to guess he was not, um, but not not yeah.
0: officially. I mean, LaMelo had yeah. all kinds of eligibility flags dating all the way back to, you know, the TV show and Lithuania and Spire and all that. I mean, he's got – I would have been surprised if LaMelo was eligible to play college basketball. Um, but Hampton he didn't have that. It was just that, you know, he made a bunch, a bunch of money to go over there, and I, I can't blame anybody for doing that. So. I don't know. Do you, do you have final thoughts on him? I think by, in general, what what I kind of said, like for me, he's more, you know, mid to late teens, which is not, again, not a damning thing. And I think it's defensible. It's defensible ahead of that. I think you could have him higher than that and it would be, it would be defensible.
1: I have him 15 on what I'm working on right now. And um, final thought would just be like, I would like to see him go to Boston, Dallas, Milwaukee. I know I would like to see anybody go to those teams, but like just for the reasons you said about you know just how he's kind of that versatile like off ball, but like he can do some on ball stuff i really like to fit with dallas and obviously boston has like a million playmakers so he's perfect for that just to you know be one of the four guys on the perimeter that can break down and make plays and um
0: if you wanted him to play point guard going back to what we were talking about before if you wanted him to play quote unquote point guard the best place for him to do that is with a team that also has a big lead ball handler like dallas um even somewhere like I'm gonna I'm gonna mention this again with, with Maxie in a second, but um teams that have those like six five to six eight lead ball handlers like Devin Booker and and Luca, et cetera, those are the teams that um guys like this who are who are actually combo guards, you can play them at point guard if they're not asked to play point guard in a traditional sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I know I I really think Hampson too could be like um a, a more of like a at least like just though he has a more of a starting like body than like a Jalen Brunson, you know, you don't want to play Brunson 30 minutes every night in the Western conference. So I don't know. I think it could be worth it.
0: Yep. That's probably good on Hampton. We can uh, circle back at the end. Um, I want to transition now to Tyrese Maxey, who I've always liked and I've mentioned quite a bit on the podcast. I've always been a fan. Uh, he's a little smaller, six, two, six, three, somewhere like that. Six, six wingspan. And, uh, I think in general he got kentucky this year. It's tough to evaluate guys at Kentucky a lot, especially when he was playing next to a couple of combo guards. Like basically, they had three combo guards in the backcourt with um, Ashton Hagen and Emmanuel Quickly. They all did all did different things, but Maxi was utilized a bit weirdly. And uh, Kentucky's always tough in some ways because they just have so much talent. Um, but he didn't shoot well from three. That's definitely a red flag if you just watch college tape. Just like I was saying with Ma- uh, with Hampton, um, Maxi. The people that like Maxi are really relying, and this is myself included, a lot on pre-college tape. And his shot went in a lot more at lower levels. I think he's going to be able to shoot. But if you if you saw a point percentage from college, you may not think that. I totally get it. So it's, a, it's he's a pretty much a good example of someone who has a divide in the evaluation from people that really care about college only and people that care about pre-college a lot. And uh, that's kind of where I would open things up. On Maxi because there's lots there's lots to like about him regardless like his floater game his in between game his finishing is really creative and effective I think he's a pretty good passer I think he's gonna be a pretty good defender he's strong um, and quick for his size but um, he's still at the very you know if he doesn't make shots it's really tough at 6263 to make your mark as a non pure point guard so that's that's the biggest swing point in the evaluation but Again, I think it depends on how much you value pre-college because the shot was part of his real appeal before he got to Kentucky, and the ball just didn't go for him, go in for him this year.
1: No, I think Maxie can shoot. I mean, I think a lot of people know that. I don't, I don't think it's like, I don't know. Like, I don't. I agree, really, I I agree don't
0: with you, say, but then you, then you'll read yeah. something about how his three-point percentage was bad in college, and that that's like a pillar of the of the evaluation. And I get it; it does. I mean, it's a data point, and it wasn't good. This year, but I'm with you that people that pay attention to this stuff are believe in Maxi as a shooter to some degree. But if you're trying to fan, if you're trying to fashion the anti Maxi case, um, it probably includes his college three point shooting numbers.
1: I mean, if Maxi is like, if Maxi was trusted to be a great shooter, I think he would be a top five pick. Like, I think that would be like on everyone's board. I think. That's what, like, all your big mock guys would be hearing. I think and the he, fact he's that still he, there for some people for that reason. Yeah, also, I think. that's what I'm saying. Like, if he's not a great shooter, he's still, like, probably wherever, whoever ha- – I mean, most people have him somewhere in the top 12. I mean, if he's a great shooter, though, he's a great prospect. So, like, I just, I, that's, like, I, obviously why you, like, led in with that. But uh, I don't know. Like, I don't – I don't know if he's a great shooter. I think he's like definitely just like a 19-year-old kid and could be a great shooter when he's 22 or 23. That stuff is, can be really hard to project when you get not even a whole college season. I mean, the whole college season isn't even long enough. But
0: And he's also, I mean, the thing about him is the same thing in some respects that we talked about with Hampton is that um, because I don't think he is a lead guard, if you're 6'2", 6'3", it depends a lot on who you're playing with. Uh, and what your role's supposed to be, because ideally with Maxi, you would again pair him with a big lead guard type like Luca or like Booker or somebody like that who was not point guard size, but he has the ball a lot. If you don't have that player, for instance, if you're the Hawks or if you're a team that has a small point guard, it's tough to have Tyrese Maxi as your starting shooting guard because you know trying to trying to defend. And I like Maxi as a defensive player. Actually, I think he's going to be pretty good. But it's more him guarding point guards is what you kind of want. I don't think you want him guarding up a whole lot because he's just not that big so in Atlanta the fit would be tenuous quite obviously which is why I haven't talked about him even more than I have because I really like Maxie I just don't think he's a great fit defensively in what Atlanta has unless you just make him your third guard but in other spots if you paired him with someone who was bigger it could work a little bit better especially if you like Maxi as much as I do so I don't know. The fit is always the question for these for someone who's a combo guard at his size, and that's still the case for Maxi. I just like a lot of what he does. I think he's really, really good offensively. If you buy his jump shot as being even average, he does so much other things. Uh, so many other things well in terms of all of his creativity and his floor game, et cetera. And his passing's pretty good too. There there aren't a lot of weaknesses in his game. It's just that he happens to be six two, six three with a six six wingspan. And that is a tough fit when you're not a point guard and he's not a point guard
1: in my mind. Yeah, I mean I have Maxine now uh, six on my board. So I like Yeah, him.
0: I think that's about where I would have him too. I mean maybe a little I, I might have him a little bit lower than that. He's lower than that on my Hawks board for what I for the reasons I just said. I, I think and that's you know, because this is the Hawks podcast at the end of the day. Um, I don't usually include Maxie in my stuff about the Hawks. Occasionally I will just throw him in there and talk about him. But like I would, if, if for in a vacuum, if you had Maxie ranked ahead of guys like Devin Vassell, like I wouldn't be upset by that. But if you're the Hawks, I, you can't, I don't think you can take Maxie ahead of Vassell or Coro or somebody like that. Cause they're just so much better fits. Um, but in a vacuum, I, I have Maxi in the same range that you do. I just think it's a tough sell in certain places. If you're playing him with a small point guard, that's tough.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's tough. I would still take him over for sell, personally, and Halliburton. Um,
0: I also like him more than Halliburton. Uh, I think in Atlanta, I would not take him over Vassell, but I understand what you're saying. I think
1: Well, it's just I have Vassell like 14th, so it's like I don't want to drop eight spots just over like.
0: And that's, yeah, that's the difference. I, I have I have Vassell and Maxi pretty close, so that would be yeah. why it's different for me. I like him more than you do. But, yeah, I mean, I am on record as not wanting to drop down tiers, even for fit. Reasons in the first round. I don't. I don't love going down tiers. I have those guys in the same tier, which is why I would. Gl- I would gladly go in a different direction, because of the fit stuff. The fit's more of a tiebreaker for me. Yeah. But uh, it's not, if, at, if it's not a tie,
1: then yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just look at it like this. Like obviously, you know what you said about you have them close, but for me, I have Maxi is like a good bit better. So if to me, if I drafted Vassell and then. Maxi was way better. I would rather have Maxi and be like, "This guy's really good. We might have to trade him, but he's really good." Like, you know, I, right. I like that situation better than, "Oh, I got the worst guy."
0: No, I'm with you, 100. If if I had someone eight spots different, even if the fit was better, I would still t- still t- take the guy higher. So I, I totally agree with the, uh, with the even if you there.
1: have to even if you have to play him for a year, the Hawks aren't playing for a title next year. If he's good, he's not going to kill the team. So like,
0: well, it's it's the same argument that I well, similar argument to what I've said before, and I've, I've surprised people by saying that I would draft Onyeka Kongwu or I would draft someone like that, if I thought those guys was the best player available. And, like, Kongwu is really good. Like, there's there's a chance, for sure, on my board, if the Hawks ended up in that 5-6-7 range, that Kongwu is the best player available when they pick, and you just take him at that point in time. And it's the same sort of thing for Max. It's not It's not exactly the same, but if you have a guy that's the only guy left in his tier... Even if that's not a good fit, you just take that guy, in my opinion. So I I think we kind of agree. I just think you're a little bit lower on the sell than I am, so I understand that. But we'll get to him when we talk about uh, wings. But I don't know. Maxie's someone I like a lot. I I I really hope slash wish he gets to a place that fits him well. I think Phoenix would be a lot of fun with Booker. I think New Orleans would be fun. If you paired him with Drew and Lonzo in that backcourt, that'd be a lot of fun. Like there are places where he is mocked in that range where I think Maxi would, would, would work out really well. I don't want him to be on a team where it's not going to work out fit-wise. That'll frustrate me because I'm rooting for him. I like him a lot. I just hope it, the fit is good. And he might he might fall, by the way. Like there are some situations and some and some mocks people that I trust that um have Maxi considerably lower. And I I kind of get it if you just go off the college tape. Uh, and don't buy the jump shot. He would be lower. But I, uh, in case it wasn't clear, I like him more than Hampton uh, by a lot. I think Maxi is a tier or two above Hampton in my opinion. Um, you know, that's just my evaluation. But that's how I have. That's where I have him. And uh, yeah, there you
1: go. Uh, that's crazy. Cause I have. I don't know if we we should probably just do like a big board like reveal podcast or something because i could tell you my whole board and you can i'm tell trying i'm trying
0: board. to wait as long as possible to exactly yeah, so
1: because
0: it's right. uh as much as i said before we're under 100 days we're still 90 i think 98 days away no, that's I, a long time
1: i know that's what i mean like it's too early just to like spiel the whole thing but uh um i do have maxi in tier two like in the middle of tier two and then i have hampton as like at the top of tier four with uh Fisil. So like I have like I basically have him two tiers apart, just like you said.
0: Yeah, I uh that's that's about that seems reasonable to me. Uh, you know, if you have Maxie and Hampton closer together, I would not blame you for that. It's just uh I, I prefer Maxie. I think he's a better prospect. I thought that I thought that going into the year too, so that's not that's just that's not just a reaction to what they did this year. I had them, you know, in my early, very, very early board. I had that same uh disparity. So There you go on that. Okay, before we get to the last two guys who are routinely mocked ahead of the two guys we talked about so far, a word from today's sponsor on the podcast, and that is the good folks at rockauto.com. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it is now impossible to stock all the card tr- truck parts that you need in a traditional chain storefront. So why would you endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait forever while the counter person orders the parts on his or her computer, only choosing the brand that the warehouse happens to carry? Instead, you have access to rockauto.com at at home or in your pocket, and it's a much, much better option. Whether it's for your classic car or your daily driver, rockauto.com has everything you need in just a few easy clicks, delivered directly to your door chain stores, have different price tiers for pro mechanics and do-it-yourselfers. But at rockauto.com, prices are the same for everybody, and they're always the lowest prices possible, rather than changing prices based on what the actual market will bear. The rockauto.com catalog is also very easy to navigate because you can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, the specs, and the prices that you prefer. rockauto.com is for everybody and does not require membership or an account login. And best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for pros and do-it-yourselfers. So why in the world would you spend twice as much for all of the same parts go to rockauto.com right now to see all the parts available for your car and truck and then from there you want to write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you amazing selection reliable low prices all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com all right zach let's get into tyrese Halliburton, who i have seen as high uh as like top two or three on a couple of boards Um, There was a report that the Warriors like Terry Halliburton, and the Warriors, of course, have the worst record in the league and have the highest lottery odds as a result of that. Um, So basically, I've seen him mocked very, very high. Um, I both get it, and I also don't get it in some ways. He's a super bizarre prospect, and not in a bad way. I've always kind of liked Halliburton, and now I feel like I don't, which is uh, unfortunate because I've always been high on him. I think the the love fest is a little bit out of control right now in some respects, but 6'5", with a legit 6'10"-ish wingspan. He's extremely long, a little bit older. He'll be 21 in February, so, uh, you know, a year-plus older than Maxi, for instance. Um, Definitely very weird, but shoots the ball really well. 43% from three over two seasons in college. Kind of a weird shot, but it always went in in college. Great defensive metrics in terms of blocks and steals for his size in college, and he's an incredibly good passer, um, good body control guy, etc. On the flip side... There Are some weaknesses, uh, you know, athletically? He's not a, a bursty guy at all, like, he's very limited for a backcourt player in terms of athleticism and burst. Um, and I think the point guard ideal kind of ends there for me, but we'll come back to that. And then defensively, his feel is awesome, like, he's a really, really smart basketball player on both ends of the floor, but he's not strong at all. Uh, he got picked on, I thought, quite a bit actually in college as a one on one on ball guy, and I worry about him being picked on in the NBA in a one-on-one matchup because he's just not physically strong at all. He's going to get stronger, but uh, his off-ball defense is much better than his on-ball defense right now. So we'll see how that all goes. Um, I have more, but uh, we'll stop there. What do you think of Halliburton? Because uh, not that he's super polarizing, but he's just such a weird prospect.
1: Yeah, I I like him. I mean, I um, I have him in the top 10. Um, third tier. He's like the the first player of my third tier. Um, I have a guy ahead of him that, you know, most people probably wouldn't. So he would probably be eight for me if I didn't have uh, Poku eight. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Poku. It's just a teaser, man. We'll talk about this in like October or something, but I got Poku eight. You would. I I had to throw something in that we disagree on because we agreed on too much stuff.
0: No, that's totally fine, and you're not alone. People have him that high, and I. Yeah, I'm. I'm, de- I'm definitely wise. not alone. Um... Oh, I wanted to say one thing about Halliburton before I forget to say it. Um, when I had PD Well on the show last week, I thought he made a great point that I want to say again, if anybody didn't hear that. And basically, he thinks uh, that Halliburton is not a floor raiser at all, being that like he's not someone who's definitely going to help whatever he he thinks he needs to be on a team with other high-end offensive options so he can kind of do the little things and be like a pure role player that's like more of a ceiling raiser and I actually agree with that because if you and this is the problem with maybe taking Halliburton in the top five which some people would if you're taking him in the top five there's a pretty good chance he's in a bad situation if it's not Golden State in Golden State it'd be different because you're obviously with Steph and Klay and he would be actually be able to be himself in the best possible way in golden state. But if it's not golden state and he goes near the top of the draft, um you're probably putting him in a role that is not good for him. I don't I don't think that he is an on-ball player. I think he is a supporting piece. The passing's awesome, but I don't think he can actually create for himself really at all in the NBA. Like he's a good shooter, but he's not going to go by you at all. I think his you know, the passing is helpful, but it's more secondary ball moving passing in the NBA level. So that's like my short consensus on top of what PD said is that A, I agree with PD and B I, he's a guy I really worry about being in a bad situation. If he's, if he's on a bad team, he's going to disappear and it's not going to be good and it, it won't be his fault. But if he like, if you put him in like Detroit and have him be like cast as like their number one offensive Firepower, I mean, not not engine necessarily, like scoring wise, but like have the ball in his hands a ton. I don't like that
1: at all. Yeah, no, I think though, like, there are some spots, like, if Atlanta's picking, like, seventh, it's fine. I think, um, I wouldn't do it, but I, I agree. I, mean, I, I, I agree Atlanta would be better than a lot of places for him. So, perfect example though, like, if Maxi's there, there's, I'm just taking Maxi. So, like, I don't know. I, I even think, like, I might even, uh, just trade the pick if, like, I was thinking, like, Halliburton's the, the guy. I don't know. Like, well, here's I, I like one for Burton, you. like I, I, was, I don't know. I just, like, I'm not. I just He doesn't, like, make me that excited. I don't know. No, he he's not. And that's the thing. Like,
0: I am actually predisposed to liking Halliburton more than most people do because everyone knows and I get made fun of by fans and people listening to the podcast. and I'll And I'll, and I'll own this. I really like role players. I like guys who do the little things and Halliburton is that. Halliburton does a lot of little things well. He is a great basketball IQ guy, his passing, his shooting, all that stuff. And I I buy it. And I, I really I bought it a lot when he was like before before it was trendy to have Halliburton as a top ten pick, I liked Halliburton like as a maybe lottery guy. But now everyone has him in the top ten. And I think it's gone a little bit too far in some ways. You know, in Atlanta, I think his offense would be really good because Obviously, he wouldn't have to be the on-ball guy. They have Trey. They have other pieces. Um, I think he, his ball movement would be good. Uh, his shooting would be effective. I think he'd fit really well as a supporting piece with the Hawks offensively. I actually worry. About, I actually worry more about his defense in Atlanta because of what I said before about Trey. Like you're putting a guy who I think can, I think can be targeted a little bit defensively next to a guy and Trey that obviously can be targeted defensively. And on the one hand, you you do have other guys to insulate. Halliburton, you have Cam Reddish, for instance, you have Hunter, etc. But if your three guard-only players are Trey Young, Tyrese Halliburton, and Kevin Herder, that's not going to work defensively very well, I don't think. And like at seven, it's fine. I, I agree with you, but I-, I there's not a there's not a scenario where I would draft Halliburton with Atlanta's own first-round pick. Again, I would not kill them at all if they drafted Halliburton at six or seven. That's perfectly fine. I think he's just not the guy that I would take there. Like I would have him for Atlanta. I would have him behind Devin Vassell. I would have him behind Isaac Okoro. I would have him behind. I, I would. T- I would take a Kong ahead of him. I would probably take Denny ahead of him. I think uh, that that would that would be a little bit closer between Denny and Halliburton. But like I would certainly take, of course, Ball, Hayes, and Edwards. So you're already at seven or eight guys now that I would take ahead of Halliburton for Atlanta. And again, I, I'm not. I wouldn't criticize them for doing it in the back half of where their options are five, six, or seven. I just don't think they're. I think the upside is a little bit lower than you would want. And defensively, the safety off the ball is really good, but I think he actually can be picked on. That's probably where I'm a, the lowest compared to the consensus on Halliburton because of his because his numbers are really good defensively. Like his stock numbers are really impressive for a guard. I think people have this notion that he's going to be a super high end defender. And I think he's gonna be a good team defender, but like he's solidly behind Vassell and Okoro, for instance, defensively. Like I think those guys are just physically have so many more advantages over Halliburton that uh, if you're going by defense, I'd rather have both those guys by a lot. Even even while acknowledging that Halliburton is a good defensive prospect in a vacuum, but I think ideally you'd have him next to someone who is a kind of a bull defensively at point guard where he is not and obviously Trey Young is not that if you if you put Halliburton like next to like Drew Holiday it'd be awesome but uh I think he he could probably be exposed and that's kind of where maybe I'm a little bit lower than consensus it's just the on-ball defense does scare me so
1: yeah that's what I'm saying like it's not that I'm just like not crazy about him like I do think he like did a lot of stuff well, but like, I just worried, like, is he just a good college player? Like, I know he was like really fundamental and you know, he can shoot it and all that. But like, I just think he's not like, I just, I don't know. I just don't know. Like, what's he going to be great at in the NBA? Uh, What's he gonna be great
0: at? He's going to be a really, here's, I'll take the, he's going to be a really good shooter and a really good passer, but the, but both those things are, secondary traits. Like, he's not going to be a guy who shoots on the move and craves so himself. He's so a role he's, player.
1: He's, like... Sounds to me... I mean, I mean I've mean, i seen him, but, like, it just sounds like what you're, you know, saying, like, you think he's going to be in the NBA is, like, basically, like, a uh, Kevin Herter, but, like, not as good of a shooter. Do, do
0: you want the comparison that I think... Again, we I hate comparisons, so do you. The comparison that I think is the best one for Halliburton in the current NBA... Is probably Lonzo. Like this year's like like this year's Lonzo, who Lonzo made shots this year from three. Lonzo's a ball mover. He's not a point guard in the way that he was billed to be. He's someone who can handle the ball a little bit and is a good is a really good passer, but not a not an on-ball like blow-by-you kind of point guard. I think if Halliburton became Lonzo, like this year's Lonzo, that'd be a huge win. But he's the most that's the most likely maybe not likely that's the most um, accurate comparison of someone who's currently in the NBA that I can make I don't think it's perfect but it's that archetype where Lonzo isn't going to be your primary ball handler he's not going to be your lockdown defender but he does a lot of little things well and the metrics like him and I think Lonzo's good like I'm not that's not a bad comparison I think Lonzo was really good this year I think Lonzo's a good player and a really valuable player but that's kind of where you're hoping
1: Halliburton gets to I think I think he's Lonzo with Kevin Herter's defense. I don't think he's as good as like Lonzo can like he's not like locked down on like a big wing, but like he can play ninety four feet. He could like he can well, pretty that's much. that's what I'm saying. It's more like
0: Lonzo. is a lot stronger than Halliburton, so that's, Lonzo, that's the one Lonzo, big difference. Lonzo like
1: can actually fly too. Like when he just starts running, he's not like a great driver, but like just as far as like running,
0: yeah, fast break and open floor for sure. I, I, yeah, this, this is
1: why I'm saying it's not a perfect
0: comp, yeah. but. I actually, he I actually was think stronger. he's like,
1: yeah, like, yeah, he's like herder almost like he, I don't know, but he's obviously not the movement shooter. So like, I don't know what you mean. He's like a hybrid. He's like a, you know, a long playmaking, you know, yeah, shoot. I, I think,
0: I think, I think Lonzo, but with better <laughs> shooting and worse on ball defense, I don't know, something like that. It's not perfect. And and this is what I'm saying. He's an exceptionally weird prospect Like Halliburton's had that had that the entire time. Even before his second season, even before this this year at Iowa State, draft Twitter types were like talking about how weird because he's so he's also really long. Like his numbers are really awesome. Like his metrics, the metrics love Halliburton. So there's like lots of things that you can like about him. And I'm trying to not like be negative because I I still really like Halliburton. And probably in a way that people won't like him. I, I worry that he's gonna be the kind of guy like Lonzo where diehards really understand what Lonzo does well. And then there's this group that doesn't understand it. <laughs> and that's going to be what happens to Halliburton. But like, just for example, Kevin Pelton's projections, which are, you know, very numbers based have Halliburton number two. Like the metrics love Tyrese Halliburton because his stock numbers, his, his efficiency, everything, the numbers have always loved him. And I understand why. And, so that's just an example, like Kevin Pelton has a number two on his, on his, like on his numeric based projections, like ahead of Edwards, et cetera. Now, I obviously don't have him that high, but that tells you like, there's a, an, a, an analytics case for him. It's just that he needs to be used in the right way. I feel like I'm sounding like I'm low on him and I'm not. <laughs> it's just funny. He's got to be in a certain situation for, for me to think he's going to be max, like, used to the max.
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely think he's a lottery pick. I just, I can't get there with the top five stuff. That's basically how I feel about Halliburton. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, that's uh that's a good way of putting it.
0: Like, I think if you take him somewhere between 6 to 10, 11, it's totally fine. I'm going to have him closer to the back half of the lottery probably on my board. But there are certain spots, like I'm looking at, obviously the order's not set right now, but there are a couple teams in the lottery where he would make more sense than with others. Like for instance, if I'm Halliburton's agent, I'm hoping the Warriors get really unlucky in the lottery. And I can be like the fourth pick to the Warriors. Cause that's where I want to go. If I'm Halliburton, like not even like no question about it. That's where I want to (laughs) go.
1: Get get that DeAndre Hunter money.
0: He, He just fits there. I mean, he fits. That's the kind of situation where he would fit where you're, he's actually between guys who can, Make him look good on offense, and he can be that connective tissue. Defensively, he can kind of just play a role and be that, like, I don't know. He'd be a really good fit there. It's just that if they're drafting number one or number two, I couldn't do it if I was the Warriors. If it's four, four, then okay. Like, I thought it's probably a little bit high, but given how good the fit is, I would understand it. So, I don't know. There's not a great situation. Like, I would not want Halliburton to go to Detroit or New York or Charlotte. Like I would not if I'm. I mean, you want to get drafted as high as you can for money reasons, but for basketball development and future reasons, I would not want him to be on those teams that he's now asked to do something on offense he probably shouldn't be doing.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, (laughs) I agree. I just like think he's like one of those guys. Like I've like Hampton would even be like tempting. I mean, Hampton is just so risky. But like if you if you are Detroit, for example and you're picking 11th and, like, Cole Anthony's gone, you know, you say you don't like Keira Lewis or something, I don't know. Say you're picking between Halliburton and Hampton. I might go with Hampton in that spot because of what you're saying. Like, I would rather develop him for a couple years, really, like, tap in to all his physical stuff. As to where Halliburton is, like, an older prospect. Um, If he's not good right away, you're pretty much, like, you know – I mean, it's going to be one of those situations where it probably doesn't just work out that great. It's and, entirely
0: it's it's entirely about what you want because I, I still think I, I have Halliburton solidly ahead of Hampton, but it's about what you're wanting because they're very different players. Despite being on this same podcast, playing the same "quote unquote" position, Hampton and Halliburton are incredibly different. Yeah, so no, I, I,
1: <laughs> I know I'm you not, know that. I'm not saying I would do that. I'm just saying I would understand it, like right if someone took someone like that, you know, or a K- RJ Hampton or a Kira Lewis, you know, somebody who is, you know, Kira Lewis sometimes is, is higher than Halliburton on a board, but Hampton usually is lower. Um, you know, if you're a team like Detroit, I mean, I actually would, you know, maybe just take one of the real point guards, like as, uh, as opposed to, you know, more of like a, a secondary piece.
0: Right. I mean, if I, again, was. I would not draft Halliburton pretty much anywhere in the top 10 if I was a team like Detroit or New York. Just because they don't have the infrastructure, they don't have the team to put around him to have him make any sense. And it's really hard to try to build around that like when you're using one of your really, really good assets on a supporting piece. Because, again, I love Halliburton. Like the archetype of him, I'm, I'm someone who's going to value that player. But that's not the kind of guy that you want to spend a top five pick on. That he's gonna, he's never gonna be better than your like third or fourth best player,
1: right? Yeah, and people don't realize like how that stuff matters sometimes. I think like, yeah, the DeAndre Hunter trade, and I mean, barring you know Hunter, I'm not gonna sell him short. You know, he could become this great player in the next two years, and like it, you know, people look back and they're like, eh, maybe that trade wasn't as bad as we thought. But for now, you know, it was not a great trade, especially considering they took on money to do it and everything. But but even that, I mean, I've I the end result that trade. of it. The end result of it, though, is Hunter. Hunter makes more money than anyone else in the Core Five for twenty twenty one. People don't realize that he makes more money than Trey Young. He makes more money than Collins. He makes more money than Harder. He makes more money than Reddish. Yeah, because it's it
0: not even. I don't know. For it me, doesn't
1: matter. It's just a couple million dollars. But it's just you pick someone like that, and then they're not good. It's like it's also their fourth year option is like you know, approaching eight figures. Like
0: at least, and of course, I was very critical of the trade while still liking Hunter a lot. I was really high on Hunter and still didn't like the trade with all that said, like that's even more defensible to me because you know, everybody in the NBA, every team in the NBA is looking for a guy who is six, eight. That's a four. That's a four that can play on both ends of the floor, be that three and D player. Like, did they overvalue that potentially? Sure. But like, that's an archetype that works anywhere. Whereas Halliburton, Halliburton, is a role player, but not in a way that is as translatable as someone right. like Hunter, like Hunter, I, I, Hunter,
1: Hunter, like role players make 18 million. Halibur that's what I mean. Halibur. I mean, yeah. it was
0: someone like, someone like Devin Vassell, for instance, like Devin Vassell, even I know you're a little bit lower on him than I am. Devin Vassell would work anywhere. Like the idea of Devin Vassell is not sexy at all, but it's a three and D guy who shoots it and plays off ball defense. And he's a, he's what, six, seven, like, that player works anywhere, and if it works even a little bit, you have a guy in your rotation that's making real money, and he's going to be a really valuable piece of your team. If Halliburton gets in a bad situation, and some of what he can't do gets magnified over what he can do, that may not go well. He may be a second draft guy that needs to get to a better situation. Like it's just not that scalable. He needs to be in a good situation. That's where I'm. I know PD said all this when he was on my podcast, but he really is a ceiling raiser in a way that um, is a bit strange for a role player like people think of role players as guys who are just you know kind of fit anywhere and do little things and that Halliburton has some of that but I do think that his weaknesses would be magnified on a bad team he's someone who needs to be on a good team and and playing with guys who are at least one probably two really good offensive players where he he could just do the little things and not have to worry about creating
1: yeah, yeah it's tough <laughs> My final thought on him would be like, I agree, like with all that. I think, uh, yeah, San Antonio, I would like that.
0: Yeah, they they have a lot. They they have a ton of guards, but yeah, I mean, they they at least would know how to use him. Probably like Pop's not Pop's not stupid. I don't want him to go to most. That's the thing about Halliburton. If you look, if you look at the board in the lottery, the vast majority of the teams in the lottery are teams that I do not want him to go to. Like, as someone who's rooting for him, rooting for him to, to to have success, like, I don't want him to go to Cleveland. I don't want him to go to Minnesota. I don't want him to go to Detroit, New York,
1: Charlotte. You don't think – I think Minnesota could be all right, though. I mean, I know they're I not going to be a great team, but, like, as far as he could play decent next to – Yeah, I, th- I think Russell offensively that would work. Russell and Towns.
0: Yeah, I think offensively that would not be the worst fit in the world. I think defensively eh. – but um, they wish they had Culver. I don't know. That's not the worst place in the world. You're right. But – Still, overall, like I, I would love to get Halliburton to like Boston or something, like some some good team. No, even New Orleans. Like I know they already have Lonzo, so that they don't they don't need Halliburton. Then that same comp, but Halliburton needs to be on a good team, and I just I feel bad that there isn't. A, maybe Boston will trade up for him, and that'll that'll bail him out. Maybe maybe they'll package picks. I don't know. We'll we'll uh, we said enough on Halliburton for now, but we'll come back to that at a later date. I'm sure. Okay, before we get at, out of here, there's one more guy left, Um and it's someone who we could have put on the wing podcast honestly but uh he is i think pretty clearly more of a pure shooting guard prospect than a lot of these guys and uh combo guards is not really where he falls in my opinion but still more of an on-ball player and that's anthony edwards uh edwards is a legit 6'5 6'8 6'9 wingspan um built like a tank like i understand that he is a different archetype than some of these guys but if you're he's not a point guard and he's not really a wing like he's kind of a wing but we put him here because He's really a shooting guard, and I think everyone agrees that he's a shooting guard. So that's where he is, and he'll be more of an on-ball player than a lot of guys are on the wings. In fact, uh, there really isn't a single on-ball wing (laughs) in this class. Um, Maybe a Coro in some ways, but uh, Edwards goes here just to group him up with guys who are more similar. Uh, All that to say, obviously he's in a different tier in terms of consensus prospect hype. He is a consensus top two or three guy in this class. Number one for a lot of people, number two for a lot of people. Uh, before I dive into anything on him, uh, you know he's probably the player that is most associated with the Hawks in terms of all those questions for the last year about you know what happens if the Hawks given will get the number one pick questions. Uh, Edwards has been the answer more, more often than any other player over the last year. So uh, we'll uh, end the podcast here. And uh, do you what do you feel about Anthony Edwards because he's really talented and also uh, interesting in some ways.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be honest, when I first watched Edwards like during the college season, and he was like, you know, obviously, I would say probably more of a consensus number one then. LaMelo kind of has emerged lately as like, um, you know, someone who could be the number one pick. And then obviously, if you go by Vegas odds, people like Wiseman have a decent chance. Um, and Edwards is still the favorite, but I think during the college season, you know, there was... It was clear that he was like the college player that was. He was going to be the first college player drafted. People yeah. didn't know about people didn't know about Lamelo. People didn't know, you know, what was going on with all that as much, especially back then. But um... and I honestly, at that time, I was like, man, he's not that good. Like I would just watch him and be like, not impressed. And uh, you know, obviously, he has a couple games where it's just insane, but. Recently I've just watched him more and talked about him to people more and I don't really like the player he is right now but I do think he's a lock to be I mean he should be a lock to be a top 2 pick I would have I mean I've been, I've had Melo on my number 1 on my board for a long time um I haven't changed that I'm probably not going to change that you know um but Edwards is like in the tier with Melo and for a while I had Mello in his own tier, but I have moved Edwards back into the tier with Mello. I, th-
0: I think you've done the uh, the quintessential Edwards experience. And I made the joke before. I know I've said it in Tyler Jones on this podcast. Edwards is someone who, if you watch him, if you watch the right half, you'll be in love. And if you watch the wrong half, you'll be ready to tear it up. Um, Edwards is someone I've gone back and forth on a-, a ton, acknowledging the whole time that he's he can and should be and will be a top three pick most likely um i think part of that is this class i will say that about him um i'm going to say positive things as well but i think if you just gave me a normal average draft class edwards may not be a top three pick um there are lots of classes recently where he he definitely would not be that high for me but in this draft um even with some of his flaws that do drive me crazy he is still you know a top three guy um for a reason is that he is really talented i mean he as a shot creator shot maker, you've seen flashes. He shot 50 percent on two. That's pretty decent. Um, 29% on threes, uh, is bad. A lot of that is bad, bad shot selection. That, that's kind of number one for me in a lot of ways is that his, his, his shot selection was terrible in college. Part of that was a bad situation. He was in at Georgia. Part of that was that he just took a lot of bad pull up, lazy shots. Um, but I do think that that percentage is not indicative of his talent as a shooter. He's a better shooter than that percentage would tell you. Um, free throw line, 77%. That's just fine. Um, had some impressive stretches. Like like you said, he had a couple of halves, a couple of games where he was like basically unguardable, just making everything. Um, he's also really young, which is helpful. He's still 18. He'll turn 19 in August. Very young in this class. And he's kind of a late bloomer, too. He played some... Um, he's a football player early on. He has some bad habits, but he's still really raw in some ways obviously a great athlete he's explosive he's powerful um I don't know it's uh the profile is weird especially when you factor in defense because he has great tools like raw physical tools defensively and some playmaking flashes defensively like some jumping in the passing lines and stuff like that but his effort was generally terrible and some of the tape is so bad and so so hard to watch defensively so like like you said, the player that he is now, the player that he was this year, if you just assume that was the guy he's going to be, it's it's a tough sell. But the tools are really good, and in this class, the only guy that I think you can argue has a higher upside would be Mello. Um, Maybe if you wanted to get crazy on Poku, which I wouldn't. Um, but Edwards, the the upside is all star level player. Like he has that, he has those kind of tools, and uh, that explains why he is a pick that's consensus in the top three. So um, let's go offense first. How worried are you about his offensive profile? Like, obviously, like I said, the shot making is he, he can make tough shots. And part of the, you know, half the battle of being a high end, you know, top, top one or two creator on a team in the NBA now is being able to get shots off and create your own shot. And he obviously has that in his pedigree. But um, some of the shot selection is also brutal so where do you come down on his offensive uh, game right now and potential
1: I I don't worry about the profile I actually like um, the fact that he's comfortable shooting off the dribble I just think he needs you know good teammates and teammates that he like I don't want to say he didn't respect his teammates but like if you had it's different like when you're playing with guys at Georgia to where if you're playing with Trey Young you're not going to take a pull up 30 footer I mean if you you (laughs) do not if you do that one time, I can promise you that Lloyd Pierce and all the, you know, all those guys on the assistant coaches and stuff like, even players are gonna be talking to you like, oh, you're a rookie. What are you doing? So, I think just being in a situation where you're like the lowest guy on the totem pole, as far as like you know, yeah, all the core guys are gonna get more shots probably than whoever gets drafted. I mean. That's why taking Lamelo is like I would love for the Hawks to take LaMelo at number one, but like I just I think it'd be like the worst thing for him. He's gonna come in and like be competing for looks with Herter. I mean it's just that's that's not really what I want for LaMelo. So Edwards would be my probably be my pick for the Hawks at one and I I at one point I would probably wouldn't believe that I would say that. But I, I like I like what he could be on offense if he played like how like I think he should play, but I totally agree. You know, I I don't <laughs> think it's like I don't think it's like guaranteed that he will do that. But like, that's, I actually, that's one think of the think hardest think. things. He would be like really good on the Hawks if he would just like catch and shoot. You know, if the closeout's aggressive, you know, attack on the bounce. You know, just do like really simple things and, and just take advantage of his athleticism and you know, when Trey's off the floor, he can get a little crazy and get all that out of his system. I think that would be a good role for him, but I don't know.
0: I've said, i said this before on this podcast, but I'll say it again now, cause it's uh, the best time to do it. Like, I, I agree with you. I, I think Edwards is still best cast as like a number two option option offensively other than a number one. Um, I'm sure teams in the lottery, some teams in the lottery are going to want to draft him to be the number one option. And I totally get that. Um, and he does have that, you know, ultimate upside of being a number one option. I would say that he does flash nice passing and stuff. But like to the Hawks fit, I think that's one of the best places that he places that he could go in theory, in my opinion. Because obviously Trey Young is the number one option. Um, I do think, though, part of the question that I have about Edwards, and not it's not a big enough question for me to knock him down my board necessarily, but I'm not as sold as others is that you know the Georgia fit, like you were saying. It's really hard to project Edwards and what he's going to be in that secondary, more secondary creation role because he just doesn't—he did, he just didn't do it at all in college because he he went to Georgia and was the only piece. Not that they had no pieces, but they had pieces that were not NBA prospect kind of pieces at Georgia. Like if he had gone to Kentucky or Duke, we would know a lot more about Edwards and his ability to play in
1: that number and two if, role. Uh, you- Georgia didn't even have good college players though. Like, that's what I mean. Honest, like they, like, you know, <laughs> it's not like they just didn't have prospects. Like they didn't even have like good juniors and seniors that are. They were not like, a
0: good like, basketball team this year, and that's again. So I don't blame him for going there. I, I get he's ob- he's obviously from here, etc. But it makes the evaluation harder, especially if you feel like I do, like he's not a number one option offensively, most likely, because in Atlanta I agree. Like I've been saying this for a long time. I think he does fit in theory in Atlanta, but I also genuinely do not know how he's going to function as an off-ball player because we just haven't seen it a lot. Like There are some off-ball stuff and flashes from Georgia, but he had the massive usage right there for good reason. It's hard to glean that much from it, but I, you know, I do in theory think that, like you said, being that catch and shoot, catch and attack, closeouts, be a, be a secondary ball handler, obviously handle the ball more when Trey's off the court, Um, have a little bit less pressure on him, uh, be able to mature a little bit, and uh, make better decisions. Like, I think his basketball IQ is not bad. Like, if you watch him take some of these terrible shots, you would think that basketball IQ is a problem. And there are definitely moments where I was frustrated. But I think basketball IQ in this instance is mostly people crapping on his shot selection, which I understand because it was terrible at times. But I think there are enough flashes in there to kind of believe that Edwards knows how to play basketball, I just think it's hard to evaluate him based on his college sample if you're a team like the Hawks and you know if you draft him, even number one overall, that he is not your guy moving forward. Like, Trey Young is Trae Young is your guy, so Anthony Edwards has to fit and be a number two, number three option for you. Both now, I mean, now he wouldn't even, like you said, like, I made the point, there's not a single guy in this draft that I would start as the Hawks next year. And that includes Edwards at number one overall. Would they start him just for PR? Maybe. But I think he, you know, as a rookie, Anthony Edwards is not going to be better than Kevin Herter or Cam Reddish or DeAndre Hunter. He's just not. But ultimate upside-wise, yeah, you want to have him there. But it's just, it's tough for me to, I guess the easy thing that I just will say again is that it's hard to try and figure out what he's going to do in an off-ball role when we just haven't seen him in that role very much.
1: Yeah, no, I mean it's weird, but you just have to think like that his game would be elevated by playing with a you know, better agree. player. Like it's just like
0: he's also really young. Again, again, he's super young like it, and a late bloomer. All too.
1: these all these reasons we're listing are the reasons he would go like fourth at highest, like after RJ Barrett last year. I mean, I think he
0: yeah, I think last year in most people's minds, he would have been either third or fourth compared to Barrett, and Barrett was a better college player than Edwards, pretty clearly. Um, but Edwards is a much better shooting prospect than Barrett ever was. So, I don't want to make that too, like, a 2 one yeah.
1: The other thing about Edwards is, like, you, could, you talked about how he chose to go to Georgia. That was probably the best choice he could have made, because if he went to, like, Auburn or... Kentucky, or just somewhere else where there were like lottery prospects, like there could be that whole thing of, well, well Maxi's better than him. Why would he go number one? Yeah, I don't know. You know I like, mean, it, like, I, I could see both obviously sides. Pe- people will go back to like the uh, actual evaluation, but like if he would have played bad on a team that was supposed to play good, then the downside could have been even more dramatic.
0: Yeah, I do think if he, if he had posted the kind of efficiency numbers that he did at Georgia and did that exact thing. On a different team in a smaller role, he would have looked worse. Because at least at Georgia, you have the built excuses of him being the only guy, and he still put up huge counting stats, etc. The efficiency like, is worrisome, but I, I mean, I could
1: sort of see both sides. Because like, for example, like if if he went to Kentucky and quickly and he scored all the points, and he was just like, you know, had a couple games, but mostly struggled. Like that would, I just, I don't know. Like he, I don't know if he would be number one anymore. Like, I, I just, I just feel like it's different when you go to a school where like, and I'm not saying, like I'm not trying to like, you know, degrade George's program or anything but like their roster last year was just not that great. Like we've said. And like, when you go there, like it, it doesn't matter how bad he played as long as he was like halfway trying, like he was going to get 20 shots the next game. And he wasn't. So, by the way, he wasn't trying. Uh, wait, that's why I, so I said halfway. I know that, <laughs> that's that's don't... the
0: thing about Edwards, honestly, that will make you crazy. And this is back to what we first started this conversation on. You know, and this is why everyone. I feel like everyone has done some version of what you and I both said about Edwards, where like people will go from having him number one to being cool on him to being back in on him. Uh, I know Tyler's done the same thing. We talked about this on and offline. Like the effort was so bad at times. And the selection, the shot selection was so bad at times that if you watch a lot of Edwards in a short period of time, it will make you kind of crazy. Um, but if you take a step back and realize what he's capable of, and some of the explosions that were really good, and what happens when he does flash, even defensively, where the defense was generally terrible this year, but when there's that, those plays, those plays where he makes the plays where he that he could make all the time especially if he's in a smaller role offensively and tries, tries hard defensively, like the pieces could all come together. I do think that his floor is a little bit lower than people want to say it is because, you know, the Dion waiters comp has been out there a little bit and, uh, I can kind of see that. I think he's a better athlete than Dion waiters, but you know, and Dion, by the way, made $50 million or more in the NBA. It looks like, he completely fills it out, but I don't know. It's Edwards. To be like my full evaluation is like yeah if I'm the Hawks I think you have to consider Edwards number one overall I don't think I don't think you have to take him There's people that will tell you that he's like a no brainer number one and I do I don't believe that but I do think given what the Hawks have with Trey if you're a little bit more skeptical on the fit with Mellow, like I have Mellow number one on my big board uh, non Hawks related but if you have Edwards number one on your Hawks board like I totally understand because he's a much more natural fit. I do think that if I, if I was Edwards' agent, in addition to wanting to go number one, I think I would want him to go to Atlanta. And maybe they'll disagree with me. You know, a lot of people want to be the guy, and maybe Anthony Edwards wants to be the guy. But I think for his long-term prospects, the best possible thing that could happen to Anthony Edwards is for him to play next to someone like Trey Young. Because I'm a firm believer in... I mean, it could work. I'm not saying it couldn't work. But if he becomes... The obvious number one guy in Detroit or New York, like that is not what I think Edwards ultimately needs to be. And, you know, if I was those teams picking number two and Melo was gone, I would probably take Edwards. But it doesn't mean that I think that's what's best for Edwards. Uh I would I would want him as someone who's just roots for everyone to be good. I want all these guys to work out. Um, I, I would be rooting for him to go to a team where he's where he's not the number one option.
1: Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I think there's like you said at uh, one point earlier. I think there is potential, like that, you know, especially on his second contract. Maybe he could, you know, become like a uh, Victor Oladipo, like a fringe number one option. I, I, was,
0: I was I was waiting for that because that that's a comp that's like a very favorable Edwards comp. Is Ed, is yeah. Oladipo, and if that happened, that's obviously a really good outcome because Oladipo is an all star level player. Same but, comp's by the way, coach, right? Yeah, same college coach. Uh, they're similar size. Oladipo was a had a much better motor in college. Like was a much better yeah, defender. And, tried a lot harder. He
1: was, but he was one of the best players in the nation. But he was also older.
0: Right, he was a little bit older, and he he he, he just tried a lot harder than Edwards. That's just like the short version of it. But even then, it took Oladipo three or four years in the NBA to actually become.
1: Yeah, he was good. like, I, I will say by the time Oladipo was like uh, he made an All Star, right?
0: Yeah, I think he made. Two yeah. Now, um, regardless, he's definitely been he's he's been All Star at least once. By the,
1: by the time he made All Star, he was like six or seven years older than Edwards is right now.
0: Yeah he he's a two, he's a two time All Star but yeah that's the comp that I think I've probably heard the most of people that are trying to be up uh, trying to be positive about Edwards is old is like current Oladipo or like yeah. pre injury Oladipo as this guy. You see who, like
1: when you have this discussion though, you see how NBA GMs miss. You're like, yeah. what is this? What is this guy I've seen thirty times going to be in five years?
0: Oh, it's really hard. I mean, like it's like this whole this whole endeavor is very hard, and that's what makes it tough. But I mean, I would candidly, I would bet against Edwards ever being as good as Old Depot was pre-injury two years ago. Like I think I think Old Depot was like a what like a top twenty player in the league two years ago.
1: Yeah, I mean, when Indiana was like winning a lot, he was. Pretty incredible. I mean, yeah. When he was, so, when he and was that's healthy. not a shot at
0: that's not a shot at Edwards. I, I think that's like a really, really, really high end outcome for him. But again, that's an all star player that was the best player on a good team, or at least the second best player, like one of the top two players on a good team. That's what yeah, I think Edwards I, could I be. I just
1: think that is like the if he's going to be the best player on a team, that that's how it'll be. It'll be like a balanced team, like a Utah with Donovan Mitchell, like
0: right,
1: like they have other good players. He's like. You know the most creative, the most flashy. Maybe, maybe he's not even actually the best player. You know, maybe the best player is Rudy Gobert or someone. But
0: I, I don't think uh, I don't yeah. think that Edwards is going to be a top ten player in the league. I I'm not telling you that that's impossible, but normally, yeah. you know, again, especially if you go number one, this is I go on this rant all the time about where you get drafted sets your expectations. But if he goes number one, expectations will be too high for him, almost wherever he goes, and that won't be his fault. But there is a segment of the basketball population that sees number one pick and just assumes that guy has to be a star, like a full-blown star.
1: I think the median outcome for him would be like a top 40 player and then like a good outcome, like a realistic good outcome. Like, okay, he gets drafted, he goes to a decent spot, and he works his ass off and, you know, makes shots and stuff. I think like just a solid – like that would be like, you know, a top 25, top 20 player. I
0: I think I would actually be a little bit lower on the medium, and that's just me being me. I think – people just like to ignore downside a little bit. I think his median outcome is lower than that, and that's not a, again, not a shot at him. I think people would be surprised to find out how many top two or three picks um, that don't even bust become, don't never become top 40 players. Like, that's a
1: really high bar. I, I just, I actually do buy, like, just the volume, the volume shooting and, like, the athleticism, though. Like, I don't... If the ball goes I mean, in, I mean, if his, shoot, if,
0: if, if his shooting goes... If, if he shoots the ball efficiently, it's not. And again, it's not always about percentage. A lot of it is the fact that he gets up a lot of threes and can shoot off the dribble, and that's a really valuable thing. But provided he does shoot an adequate percentage, if he takes a lot, that is hugely valuable because he can get shots off. Kind of
1: like another way, I guess, to look at it when... Especially next to like a different draft because this one is strange like yes, um if I were the Hawks and I were picking fourth like last year and Edwards was somehow just you know hypothetically in that draft, I would be picking between Edwards and reddish like I think they those two players have like a similar like I think they'll be around the same level of player.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, they're just they're very different,
1: but yeah, I, I do like, think just, that I just mean as in like value, like not right. Honest, I, I understand.
0: Honest. I mean, yeah. I, I think that Edwards, again, if if Edwards had been the same exact prospect and was in last year's draft, I think he would be the consensus number four pick, and that's not like a knock on him. I think people now that it's been a year, people have forgotten that R.J. Barrett was much more highly regarded than people want to remember that he was. I'm not saying that he is going to be great or anything, and I wasn't always the biggest Barrett fan, but he was definitely the consensus number three pick last year, like, by a lot. Like, if you rounded up all the mocks and all of the big boards and stuff last year, he was definitely in a tier of his own at number three. And I think Edwards would have been closer to Barrett than he was to anybody else last year in the draft in terms of of prospect status. So it's not like he's a bad prospect he's obviously a really good prospect i think this year the fact that he's you know either one or two for most people it is partly indicative of the draft, but it's also partly that he is really talented and there is a lot of franchise you know investment there is a lot of there are a lot of franchises that are looking for someone who is a 6'5 power athlete that at his best could be a pretty good defensive player that also creates for himself and averages 20 a game efficiently shoots three like he does a lot of things in theory very well if he puts the whole package together he's an all-star and that is really appealing especially that especially at that position because like i said six five with six eight wingspan and that kind of athleticism and power those guys don't just like appear that are really skilled too. like he has the whole package is really enticing if it all comes together i'm always someone that bets against everything coming together for prospects but it certainly could happen, and if it does, like like we like like, like we both said, he's in he's an all star if it all comes together. Like there's almost no question. Yeah, about I, it.
1: I I just like I have him in that like tier that I would have Reddish and DeAndre Hunter in. Like he has a lot of tools. He should be fine. There are some questions, and then like obviously if everything works out, like you know they're gonna be like guys who get almost twenty a game. So,
0: right. I, I think Edwards is probably going to. The one thing I would say about Edwards is kind of funny. Uh, DeAndre Hunter pre-draft, by the way, obviously. Yeah, no, I, I got, I mean, I, I'm i always probably lower on this archetype than other people are. But even when I pushed back earlier on your on your median outcome being a top 40 player, I do think the median outcome for Edwards still averages like 20 a game. It just might be a bad 20, if that makes sense. Yeah, like there are guys who average 20 a game that are not top 40 players.
1: Could be Zach Levine and not Oladipo.
0: Uh yeah, Levine's another comp, and obviously they're different. They're different kinds of athletes. Edwards is much more of a power, whereas Levine is that fluid, uh, leaper type. But yeah, I mean, if Edwards became Levine on offense, that would actually be a pretty good outcome, <laughs> because Levine is a good offensive player right yeah,
1: now. Yeah, I just mean like, is in the sense of like you know right. But no, that, an, I mean overall an impact, an impact sense.
0: Yeah, I mean exactly. There, there are there are there are guys in the in the NBA that average twenty to twenty five points a game that I don't think are top 40 players. And Zach Levine's probably on that list. And that's not like saying Levine's terrible. It's that he uh, does a lot of other things poorly. He's still a good scorer and an efficient scorer. But that's kind of what I mean about Edwards. Like that's part of the, that's one of those outcomes that I think is reasonably likely with Edwards is that he becomes someone that probably is overvalued by by a lot of people because he's going to average 24 a game, but also does a lot of other things poorly. That's in there, especially if he goes to a team where he's the number one option. Like, the, the, the Zach Levine path is one that he could certainly follow. And again, I'm not trying to crap on Levine, but, you know, if, you're, if your best player is Zach Levine, you're not going to be good. And that's not, again, not, not a shot at Levine. He just needs to not be your best player. And that's kind of what I think about Edwards in a lot of ways. Like, could he go average 25 a game for the Pistons in three years? C- certainly he could, but there probably won't be a very good team if he does that.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, I think, you know, that's... I think most people would agree with that. I mean, that that are looking at the draft closely. I don't,
0: he's the upside pick though. I'll say that if you're to bring things full circle back to the Hawks before, before we get out of here, if you're a Hawks fan and the Hawks have the number one pick or the number two pick, uh, you know, Edwards is the like most logical, natural swing for the fences, but also have a reasonably high floor pick. Like I think if I polled Hawks fans, Say the Hawks win the lottery on on, on August twenty fifth. If the Hawks win the lottery and I put out a poll on Twitter that says who should the Hawks draft, Edwards is going to get more votes than anybody else, and I think I understand why in a big way. And I'm not, and honestly, it would not surprise me if I came on this podcast after the Hawks won the lottery and sometime between then and October fifteenth, uh, sorry sixteenth, when, when the draft is, that I would just take Edwards. I mean, I the combination of fit and position and talent and this class. I I like Mello more as a prospect in a vacuum, but for the Hawks, I can totally see myself advocating for just taking Edwards. And like the easiest thing in the world for the Hawks would be if they had a number two pick and Mello went one, then they're going to probably take Edwards. I know that they have been linked to a Coro, uh, Zach, uh, Sam Bassini said that on my podcast. Um, I, I totally get that. But I think The most like mock draft thing in the world would be Hawks number two and like the Knicks number one. And everyone mocks the Knicks to take LaMelo and everyone mocks the Hawks to take Edwards.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, you just, I think the Okoro thing is just out there because like obviously there's not that great of a chance they do pick first or second. So,
0: oh no, I mean, that's the most likely outcome. I mean, is somewhere in the. Four to five. I mean, like, if you look at the numbers. The Acura number five should be pick.
1: there anywhere from four to seven, and there's like a really high chance they pick between four and seven. So,
0: well, yeah, it's uh, people, Hawks it's fans like, don't like to think about
1: it, but yeah, the I most the most likely
0: like, single pick for the Hawks is number six.
1: I feel like the most, and not even that. I think the most likely single pick for the Hawks is a Cora, but we can get into that
0: on. Yeah, it, it might and it might be. Um, and part of that's like, because I think
1: if if someone made odds, who will the Atlanta Hawks draft? pre-lottery like when you have no idea where it's going to be but you know what where the pick is likely to be and then you know who they like and who's going to be there in that range i don't know well i think they like a more than vassell or if uh, you do the uh if you do the math
0: not by a lot but the hawks are more likely to pick between five and eight than they are to pick between one and four
1: Right. And I would even extend Koro as someone you could pick fourth. So oh, it, certainly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm if, not you go, if you go four to eight versus one to three, then it's, like, really, like, if you really think they like Koro then it's, like, it becomes, like, where he's, like, the, you know. We will, it's just uh, all, it just all depends on, like, there's obviously so much time to go. If That would all be hinging on if Koro was actually, like, you know, their number one guy after… After, and we're going to we're going to talk
0: about Okoro plenty on the Wings podcast that we've not done yet and uh, I'm not sure when we'll do that two-parter but it's coming as well as the point guards and more talk about LaMelo and Killian Hayes and everybody else that's a point guard but that's it for today we've gone long um hopefully this will be your uh your bridge to the weekend. If you're listening to this podcast, it's going to be a long one, but the that's why that's why I like to post the long ones on Thursday night and Friday morning, so people have three days, four days to listen to the podcast. You can break it up if you want to. Hopefully, hopefully everybody's enjoying these. Zach, please plug yourself before we get out of here, because uh, we've I think all the takes have been fired, but uh, people people should be following you. So if they're not, tell them what they can.
1: Oh uh, yeah, Twitter at zhood underscore. You see all the stuff you know I write there. Most of my stuff is basketball, but you know, we'll be riding, uh, covering the Atlanta Falcons this upcoming football season. So look forward to that. I uh, appreciate you having me on and looking forward to the last two groups. Yeah. I
0: appreciate you doing this. These are, uh, these are a lot of fun for me and it's good uh, for people to kind of just hear, you know, most, a lot of these guys, I won't talk about a ton after these because of just where the Hawks are situated. Uh, we'll be talking about the lottery guys and, uh, there's this whole, group of prospects that barring a trade the hawks have no chance to draft i think among them is like guys like rj hampton for instance well, i don't think the hawks are gonna be picking anywhere near there but alas it's fun to talk about and hopefully people can go back and listen to the other ones that we've done the combo forwards mm-hmm. uh, and also the two-part big man podcast in addition to the two-part um combo guards podcast so follow zach follow the show subscribe uh tell a friend and we'll see everybody uh, at the very very least at the beginning of next week